and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. I'm Steve Edelman. And today we're talking about insurance, Steve. Because really, why wouldn't we? When events are starting again, well, there are things that could go wrong, and we call those things insurable risks. Yeah, so, so I kind of view insurance in this category of things that I'm like, I'm intrigued, I'm overwhelmed, and I'm like, what does that have to do with me? I know the insurance stuff I have to do for my job, and frankly, the university tells me what to do. You're looking for these things, and this is what your clients have to provide. And then I'm like, I know there's a whole lot more to it because of all of the special people we will be hearing from later in this pod. But, you know, what are what are some of these things? What do we need to know, especially as we're starting back? Yeah, frankly, the answer is a lot. A lot. Um, A lot. Like everything else, we're rusty. We have forgotten things. And even to the extent that we remember things, who we are is different than it was 16 or so months ago because there's been so much change and upheaval and turnover in our industry. And so this conversation with four smart friends from different sectors of the insurance industry is intended, number one, if you're already keen on insurance, as a helpful reminder. Two, an update about some of the risks and hazards that now exist that maybe weren't quite as risky or hazardous you know, in the before times. And three, if you are, welcome to the podcast, if you are (laughs) new to the event industry and just tuning in for the first time, this should be an opportunity for you to, well, welcome to the wide world of insurable risks. And we do want you to think about this because, you know, in the event industry, there are lots of hazards. And You know, the job of event professionals is to make those hazards reasonably safe, mitigate the risks however we're able to, and one very important means of mitigating risk is to insure against it. You've convinced me. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Danielle, you're an easy mark. (laughs) All right. Let's let's tee up some questions to our smart friends. We have sort of a cavalcade of stars from the insurance industry and also from the Event Safety Alliance Board of Directors um, because we are blessed to have our smart friends be very actively involved in the health and safety of our industry. So um, I'm briefly going to introduce by name each of our four um, participants in today's podcast and then I'll do proper introductions as we pose a question to each of them. So just to you know, do our table of contents, we have Peter Temkins uh, from Hub International. We have David Cloward, who, well, Peter reports to at Hub. Um, we have Scott Carroll from Take One Insurance. And later on, we will be joined by Sue McGurl, who, um, yes, she's from Hub also. So we have a, a dominant presence from Hub International. And, you know, thanks to you guys all for participating. Um, let's tee up our first issue. And Peter Temkins, this will be to you. So um, Peter is the managing director for entertainment at Hub. And, you know, I suspect podcast listeners, if you do live events in green fields, um, you probably have seen Peter around um, because Peter does something that I personally love. He shows up. Peter is a guy who you will see on site. So 
Peter Temkins, let's start with you and Suma Girl, welcome to you also. So we are now joined by all four of our celebrity panelists for today. Um, Peter Temkins, um, is there anything new that you're seeing about the characterization of employees versus independent contractors on event sites now that there are starting to be event sites again? Uh, Steve, my issue is the term independent contractor is a very, and I call it a nebulous term. Uh, I see it being applied to whether it's a corporate entity or an individual who's being hired uh, for an event who's not going to be an employee. They say, oh, it's an independent contractor, you know, contract. My issue is, to me, if somebody is holding themselves out as an independent contractor, they need to have, they have to be set up properly. You know, some form of corporation, whether it's an LLC, you know, uh, an INC or whatever, but also they need to have insurance. They have to have liability insurance and they have to have workers' compensation insurance. Because to me, hiring an individual who doesn't have that, you know, hiring an individual is no different than hiring a big vendor. You know, they still need to have the insurance. They still need to take responsibility. And people go, well, they're indemnifying us. Well, if they don't have insurance, you know, what's the expression? You can't get blood from a turnip, you know? <laughs> yeah, without insurance, what would right. someone use to indemnify, you know, the entity that has hired them? Right. So to me, if you want to hold yourself out as your own entity, then run it like an entity. You know, uh, digressing for a second, somebody I know just got dragged into a lawsuit. They're an independent contractor. Uh, they didn't have insurance. And who and who hires their defense lawyer in that instance, Peter Temkins? His checkbook. Yeah, I mean, podcast listeners, just to unpack that thought for a second, if you have insurance, which you should, then God forbid somebody accuses you of doing something negligent or you know willfully misconduct, if you get sued for something and you have insurance, you you report your claim to your insurer, and then your insurer hires defense counsel to defend you. That's good. That's what you want. If, however, you have not gotten insurance to protect your interests, then, as Peter Temkins just said, yeah, you're paying for your own defense lawyer with your own checkbook. And you know, as the lawyer on this podcast, I assure you, lawyers don't come cheap. Um, so that is an exceedingly unpleasant prospect. Uh, Steve, if I might, this is Scott Carroll. Um, as an embellishment to what Peter says, we, uh, we get to deal with many Peter Temkins across the country, and many are not as smart as Peter or not as well-versed because Peter's obviously communicating to his clients that... If you're hiring independent contractors and they don't have insurance, at least in the world of workers' compensation, you are most likely going to be on the hook for that. And you, Mr. Insured, need to understand that. We deal with many 
many retail insurance agents out there who don't know that and don't educate the insured to the proper perspective, in my opinion, unlike what Peter does with his customers. And, and so we're telling our clients all the time, look, if you're hiring independent contractors, you have to assume that they're going to be absorbed under the workers' compensation policy if something tragic goes wrong with them, that the courts will most likely find in favor of that individual um, and that the benefits will come from the entity directing the work of that person. So if you are directing the work of that independent contractor, they get hurt, you likely will be on the hook. At least that's the way we present it. Right. And the other issue you have in a lot of states, you know, they say, oh, sole proprietor, you don't need workers' compensation, which is true, except a lot of people don't read a few sentences below that, where it says the general contractor can require subcontractors to have workers' compensation insurance. So that argument goes out the window. But, you know, I know a lot of brokers, like Scott knows a lot of brokers, and Sue and David know a lot of brokers, you know, and their clients go, oh, we're using a payroll service, you know, to cover the workers' comp. Well, that's great for employees, but the payroll services will not cover independent contractors. So therefore the festival, which says, oh, we don't have employees, we don't need a workers' comp policy. Oops, there's the checkbook. So one of the interesting things about this conversation, podcast listeners, is three of the smart insurance friends are located in California. And, you know, a bit of history from the before times, Effective January 1, 2020, so just before the pandemic hit, California enacted um, a new statute called AB5, Assembly Bill 5. And AB5 changed the way human beings are characterized as either employees or independent contractors when the work is being done in the state of California. And Frankly, it was a pretty significant shift, and I won't get into the you know the nitty gritty of it. But the gist for you podcast listeners is: if you're working in California, there is a rebuttable presumption that you are an employee unless you can show, you know, pretty clearly by a number of criteria that are now written into California law that you have all of the hallmarks of an independent contractor. That's California law. And also, generally speaking, the law of just a few other states, less than half a dozen. In most other states, they use something which is slightly more old-fashioned, generally called the ABC test. And there are three elements to that. But again, largely the issue boils down to who controls the means and manner of one's work. So Peter Temkins has noted that you know one's form of business you know, whether you're a corporation or an LLC or just an individual human being matters for the characterization of your work as either employee work or independent contractor work. Scott Carroll, who I did not correctly introduce, is the event services program manager at Take One Insurance, you know, adds to that. So the question after all of that introduction, the question for you guys, you know, for you panelists is, 
Is there any ramification of either AB5 finally getting some use in California now that people are getting back to work and getting back to work in a big hurry with what seems to be a fairly significant labor shortage? Does this employee versus independent contractor thing matter from your perspective as insurance professionals? Um, I, I may try a stab at that. I don't mean to, to take yeah, over. Yeah, please do, Scott. But, um, you know, one thing that I have seen in since things have started to open back up here in California, especially, is we've started to see that there is more, there are more expectations laid upon our client base than have been in the past. And specifically what I would suggest is many event planners, event promoters, event producers are requiring of our insureds who are largely event service providers, rental houses, um, uh, those types of customers, that these rental houses now take on the roles of hiring the band and literally signing up the band or signing for the venue, sort of taking on a different role. And in the case of hiring the band to go back to the workers' compensation scenario, it could very well be that, that again, if the band gets hurt during the performance and our rental house is now signing up the band, is it possible that their workers' compensation would be paid by our insured a rental house? So I'm seeing that I don't, I believe that is a phenomenon of the reopening. I believe that's a phenomenon of uh, sort of everyone trying to get back to work quickly and, and sort of where the normal processes were handled in the past have changed a little bit. I think also many of our insureds are being asked to do things differently, such as virtual meetings that it just seems like, well, since you're doing this for us, now you could also do that. And so I do see an expansion of expectation upon our client base that I'm trying to manage through and figure out how do I do that? How do I help my insured accommodate the needs that others are asking them to do? And in some cases, I can't. So what does that actually mean if you can't accommodate the type of work that one of your insureds is being asked to do? What does that actually mean, Scott? Yeah, it, 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 the worst it could mean is that the, the insured may need to go elsewhere to find coverage. That would be the absolute worst. Um, I, would, I would avoid that at, at, at all effort because I would be failing my customer base, which would be the hubs of the world, for instance. Um, at, at a minimum, what it would mean or could mean is that we have to add coverage or add exposure base to the policy that wasn't originally there. So for instance, if our insured is now acting in the, in the capacity as a promoter, we would want to add exposure base as a promoter so that if there is a claim that is more in the promoter element, as opposed to, again, using rental house as an example, uh, the claims department of the insurance company I have placed them with understands that, is prepared for that, and that the insured has paid a premium in support of that exposure. Because without that, the, the claim could easily be denied, and we have to be careful of that. Uh, Steve, this is David. Um, you know, it's, it, it's interesting listening to what Scott's saying. You know, something just, I mean, totally related but unrelated to the conversation with everybody pivoting and all these changes, you know, something that popped into my head that 
and you know, from an attorney's perspective, you're going to love this one, but it, with all these changes and all the, the onus of these transactions being pushed to these insureds might be a good time to start looking at your contracts and making sure that your contracts are all in order. So well, that's music to my ears, David Cloward. That's <laughs> just, just was, a pitch was, there. <laughs> in, listening to, in listening to that, I was just like going, okay, that sounds like, you know, it's, it's in, 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 the, in the live event space, in the promoter world, everybody, the, the, the key is who's responsible for what, right? I mean, that's the whole premise of risk transfer. And, you know, in, in what Scott was saying, it just kind of caught me that, boy, people better start looking at those contracts to make sure that they're covering or they're, they're, they're pushing off those risks that they may have not been before. So that was David Cloward, who is the entertainment practice leader at Hub, making that very cogent comment about the importance of contracts, a point that podcast listeners we have made before in this forum. <laughs> um, Suma Girl, Chief Marketing Officer from Hub, um, what you got? Well, I was just going to, to piggyback on what David said. You know, oftentimes the insurance carrier and the, the broker will ask for the contracts and, and we sometimes aren't able to secure them. They really need to be reviewed in conjunction with the insurance policy. And we ask questions off of that contract about what they're doing. And to David's point, a lot of the pivoting has been, you know, our industry is super creative. They're able to reinvent themselves very well. That reinvention really requires a, 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 another look to make sure that they're protected and to make sure that that all of the things that they're doing are properly insured, are protected, whether it be from a liability perspective or a workers' comp perspective. And to, to, to sort of piggyback on what Scott said, really recognizing what everybody's doing and what their responsibilities are. So those contracts, you know, we, we insurance people ask for all that stuff, but it's super important. And Steve, you know, Peter Temkins, contracts, are, you know, as you and I have discussed on multiple occasions, you know, contracts are important, important, important. More importantly, people need to read them. Read contracts? Peter, that's heresy. Contracts are boring. No one reads them. Why do you say that? Because I have to tell you, I work with a lot of festivals. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen contracts go out to vendors and they come back five minutes later, signed, you know, they're not reading them that fast. Podcast they've, they've listeners, he, all those speed reading classes. Yeah. He, he <laughs> speaks the truth. And what you can't see is Peter Temkins is actually wearing a Vans Warped Tour sweatshirt right now. <laughs> uh, it was the first long sleeve tea in the bucket that I grabbed this morning. Oh, for God's sake. We're recording this during a Western States heat wave and Peter is in Colorado where it's cool. Damn him. <laughs> let me uh, let me add one element uh, to what what Sue and Peter and David have been saying, too. Yes, is that, Scott Carroll. And that I think that we all sort of we, we all embrace passionately because we've been out of work for a year and a half. But as people get back to work. And all these opportunities are coming forward again uh, that they're more readily going to sign what's placed in front of them, or it seems to me. And I would ask my friends from Hub to sort of comment on this, but it seems to me that they're more inclined to just sign the darn thing because they're just happy to have work 
and they're possibly not, desperate. As you said, they're not reading those contracts. And so suddenly we're getting calls, for instance, you know, now I'm supposed to sign for the venue where this event is being held. I've never done that before. Uh, they need to be talking to their brokers to make sure that they are checking whether or not they even have coverage for that kind of thing. Yep. Good point. Excellent point. Let's well, Scott, you know, Scott said something important that I want to, you know, and Steve, I think you were going to jump on it. There, there's another, you know, what was the word you used, Steve? Uh, heresy. Heresy. Yeah. <laughs> touch it, Peter. Touch the third rail. <laughs> Communication. You know, people should talk to people. It's okay to say, hold on. I don't like this part of the contract. Or can we amend it? Can we fix it? Can we make these words a little bit clearer? You're not looking to rewrite the entire contract, although Steve would like to because he gets paid by the word. Oh, please. <laughs> Speaking and that, of heresy. And, and, and we completely understand the need to get back to work, the desire to get back to work. We want you to get back to work. So we're going to do what we can to find a way to make what it is that you're asking you're being asked to do, we're going to try and find a way to make it work for you under your insurance protections, if at all possible. So we're not going to look at this through the lens of just to say no. We're going to look at this through the lens of to say yes with the best protections possible for you. Okay. And I, I want to go back. Well, I want to go back because I play at the other end of the spectrum here. Small, not festivals, only some touring. Let's say kid gets out of college, gets their first job designing lights for the ballet. They're an independent contractor. Yes, they're maybe making 800 bucks for like hundreds of hours of work, but we're not gonna get into that problem at all right now. I heard you say they need insurance because they are themselves, right? And they're yeah. working for a ballet company in a venue and they are definitely managing risk because they're putting things above people's heads. What exactly do they need? Well, I realize and, this is a uh, dumb question in, in the scope of things we're talking about, but I want to talk to the whole whole scope. <laughs> no, Danielle, I think that's a great question. And the answer is, and I'll say in my opinion, you know, they need liability insurance and they need workers' compensation. Like you said, they're hanging things over people's heads. You know, if something fall down, go boom, it's more than two excedrin, you know? Agreed. So, now, so, so, so says a lot of- other, right, Can we speak to the other end where I said very clearly that they're making 800 bucks for this? Is I this insurance that. going to be their entire profit? Are they working Probably. for accolades? Probably, but maybe they should become an employee of the dance company until they get big enough where it pays for them to become an entity. That is great advice. I would, uh, I would also, I'm sorry, Peter. I would also like to suggest though that then, and uh, that there is a product out there that was coordinated with the Event Safety Alliance along with a, they're a competitor of mine. They're called Alive Risk. And the, the product is called Crew Cover. And if you contact a live risk and look up crew cover as part of a live risks website, you'll see a cover, a product specific for technicians or, 
or the or the independent contractors that are working at sites like this, the Event Safety Alliance was was instrumental in helping form this product. So it's relatively inexpensive. It, it's very simple to obtain, and it gives them the basic coverage, uh, at least on a liability perspective, that they might need at a, at a reduced cost. So there are other solutions out there rather than just taking all of their profit. So that we're going to put a link to that in the show notes. Scott Carroll, let me stay with you for a minute because we're talking about risk management resources and an entity with which you are affiliated has actually sponsored another Event Safety Alliance product, um, our ESAT training. Would you say a little about what that is and why that's also something useful for risk management? Certainly will. Uh, Steve, thanks for bringing that up because I think this is a terribly important aspect of something that we want to get the word out broadly. Right now, as everyone has talked about, going back to work, we're all we've all got rust, right? I think that's how Steve even opened up this 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 podcast today. We've all got rust, and our contract, our our insureds who are going back to work, all of their people have been rusty. They've been sitting idle. It, there is a program, there is an online course provided by the Event Safety Alliance called ESAT. It is an eight or nine hour course that you can take over. As uh, I think it gives you a week to get the course completed. Um, it is fantastic, basic, prelim- you know, uh, 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 awareness of what you're going to experience at a live event. So anybody that is going to be at show site should be, it's a refresher course for, for the vast majority. For some who are new to the space, it's a brand new uh, sort of introduction of things that are logical. Like if there's a hole in the stage, avoid the hole in the stage, realize that there are things being hung above your head. So be aware of what's going on. Don't stick your finger in a socket. I mean, it sounds basic, but it's very, how many times have you attended a very basic training and been reminded of things that are just so helpful to be reminded of? So we have worked with a a particular insurance company, um, Intact Specialty Insurance, Intact Entertainment, who is now providing this coverage free of charge um, for uh, going on and uh, we can get you the, the link to how to get it free of charge. And uh, we are encouraging everybody in the live event space who's going back to work to take it. I'm telling all of my retailers and all of their insureds, please put your people through this program. We think it's very wise and it's a, it's a remove the rust sort of perspective that we're trying to bring people's awareness to. Thank you. And Scott Carroll, we we love that, and mm-hmm. you know we we the Event Safety Alliance and also the event industry are very grateful for that sort of support for safety training. Um, podcast listeners, just you know, here is pulling back the curtain. While we're doing these pods, there is also a fairly active chat going on between all of us as we you know tee up who's going to talk about what when. You know, we want this to seem professional, and hopefully it does feel that way. <laughs> so we've actually had a, a an issue teed up, and Scott Carroll just set us up perfectly. So Suma Girl, turning to you, let's talk about the safety aspect of insurance. And, you know, if I can give a prelude, you know, my perspective as an attorney dealing with insurance companies is insurance is sort of a necessary evil, but often the emphasis is on the evil part. 
And, you know, because we have, you know, we, the Event Safety Alliance, we have you guys as smart friends, as well as others in the insurance biz, we know that there is a significant impetus that the insurance industry provides on engaging in safe practices, worker training, which seems particularly important now because our industry is getting moving so fast and with so many new people. So, you know, Sue McGurl, can you talk a little about how does the insurance industry encourage safe work? Well, many of our insurance carrier partners have risk management groups or, or risk control people who will inspect or partner with the producers and the brokers to go out and look at the property, to go out and look at the festival area, to make certain that things are done correctly and safely and so forth. The training that Scott just alluded to um, is another important component. Having folks retrained and trained regularly to remember those things and to remember how to set up things that are safe and appropriate and protect not just the employees, not just, but protect the patrons too, to protect all those people that are coming in. Um, that's, that's another important component. And while there's no specific, you know, you don't get extra credit or you don't get a rate reduction if you have these things, it's not like in the, in the cards, but if you can demonstrate that you are practicing safely, you have operations in place, you have corrective measures, you're taking the advice of the insurance company and of your broker, you, can, you will be provided a much better product in the end and you'll be a partner. And that's what you really want to be. You want to be a partner with your, with your insurance broker. You want to be a partner with your insurance company. And that's, that's the, the reason the entertainment space is so limited with its partnerships and with its insurance companies, because they're like kind and quality type organizations that are like-minded in the fact that safety is just so critical for the employees, for the spectators, for all of the people involved. And we've all seen these horrible things that have occurred because human error and things were not necessarily addressed up front, whether it be related to weather or whether it be related to hanging a screen or whether it be related to the number of people you allowed in a specific venue. We've all seen those horrible things occur. And we now have an organization like the Event Safety Alliance who focuses on those, who focuses on training and education and those are, the, those are the things and those are the organizations that, you know, we as in the insurance company support because it increases the education. But as people are a little rusty right now, we've all got to buck up and, and you know, re-engage ourselves in training and re-engage ourselves in operating technology, re-engage ourselves with safety measures and, you know, clipping ourselves off to make sure when we hang something, oh, we've done it a thousand times. Yeah, but you did it six months ago. You may not be so good at it anymore. You know, so it, this is a really important component and it's an important time because everybody's running 90 miles an hour. So, you know, it, this is this is how we really need to to function. And, and Steve, if I could jump in, yeah, you know, David Cloward. I'm going to go back to my carrier days. Um, you know, Sue's right. I, you know, from a carrier's perspective, how you paint the picture is really what you're going to get. Right. So, um the carriers, and, and I've made a point, Peter and I have talked about this, you know, the quality of submission is what you need to look for, right? So um, carriers don't have the time, they don't have the, 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 the resource to really kind of sit there and sift through all the minutia of what's happened. But, 
you know, from a perspective of making sure that you're proactive, you've painted the picture of I've done all the safety training. Um, I've checked every box. You know, I, I, I understand what actually is in front of me from a carrier's perspective, that's going to get you value. And, you know, Sue mentioned the debit and credit, right? There is, there is a method to the madness. All insurance companies have to file their programs. So they do have the abilities to actually lower rates. Scott knows this. We've talked in nauseam about this. But every one of them has a safety component. So as we start seeing, and we're all seeing it, rates increased, um, you want a bit, little bit of leverage, you want a little bit of, of maybe a little bit of reduction in this crazy time, show a carrier that you know what you're doing, that you have the right training, that you're safety aware, that's going to get you value. And, so, and Steve, if I can jump Go ahead, in, Peter Temkin. Sorry. And following up with something Sue said, you know, everybody goes, well, if I do it, will I get a discount? You know, the answer is no, you're not going to get one. But if you follow and you have a good safety program in place and you don't have claims this year, it means next year and the year after and the year after and the year after, your rates aren't going to go up. You're helping future you. Right. You know, my joke is the day a festival starts, we're already talking about next year. Because as soon as that festival starts, as far as I'm concerned, I'm there in case there's a problem or I'm, you know, I'm at the end of the phone in case there's a problem, but it's what's going to happen next year. And this is what I go, you know, I said this earlier and we're going to say it a dozen more times on this call. It's communication. My clients, the people I work with, and I know people can't see Scott and Scott's nodding his head in agreement with me. <laughs> it's communication. Tell me what's going on. What are you doing at, whether it's a festival, whether it's a band going out on tour, whether it's a production company, tell us what the issues are or what you're thinking of doing and we'll figure out a way to make it happen. You know, you may have to pick up an extra policy or there may be an additional charge or the carrier go, oh, they got safety things for that. We're not going to worry about that. It's when you don't tell them and then they find out about it that the proverbial, you know, the, the you know what hits the you know what, that it just- We can gets, say fan on this podcast. Okay, I can say <laughs> fan. Thank you for that, Danielle. <laughs> you know, so what, I, what I'm hearing actually is what Sue was saying about the like the managing expectations. I was like, these are the same questions I ask my clients when they want to rent the space. And like, what are you doing? Who are you bringing? What's danger? I was like, oh, this is the exact same framework and the same information with the same pitfalls that the day they show up and they're like, and we have this screen we're hanging. What do you mean? You have the screen you're hanging. So I was like, that actually, that was a little bit of a light bulb moment for me. So, so the, the, the key is you've got the information. In a lot of cases, the information is already there. It's not necessarily recreating it. It's just, again, Peter's point, to communicate it because mm -hmm. the information is there. It's not yes, like somebody's got it. Somebody has it. Somebody's seen it. For those good productions, for those good operations, it's there. And if it's not there, maybe somebody needs to go out and look at it. And insurance carriers have the capacity in some cases to be able to do that. Insurance brokers do that. 
Danielle, I joke, and when Sue was on the carrier side and David was on the carrier side, they saw how it worked with me. As I say, I joke with my clients, think of fifth grade English. <laughs> Who, what, where, when, why, and how. You give me that, I can pretty much handle anything at that point. Agreed. You know, but the problem is there are brokers out there um, that, as I say, David and Sue dealt with on the carrier side, Scott deals with on the wholesale side. You know, they're not even garbage in, garbage out. You know, they're give me a little, you know, give me a little bit of information, and there's some carrier that'll write it. Well, that may have been the way it was years ago. It's not that way now. Carriers want to know what's going on. And it's a lot easier for them now to say no than to say yes. There's um, two other points I'd like to bring up if, if it's all right. Um, yeah. Scott Carroll. So one is that right now the insurance carriers are, are sort of understanding of the fact that many insureds have not had continuous coverage over the last year and a half or so, that many have stopped their coverage maybe mid-year last year because they had no work and it, it's, it's totally understood. And now they're coming back. And I think there's some thoughts out there that maybe there's concern I, that I have a gap in my coverage. And I would suggest to you, if that is a concern of yours, your broker should be able to explain that quite readily. And right now, I don't see any carriers that are holding you back on that or that are that, that would have a problem with that, uh, but but there is an end to that, right? There is a there is an end to when the carriers don't like to see someone go without coverage for a lengthy period of time because it goes to judgment. It goes to judgment of management. So my point is, if you're thinking about getting back and getting your insurance going again, I would suggest doing it sooner rather than later because now you have a grace period that all carriers are understanding of why you didn't have coverage currently, um, but that grace period may go away. The second thing is, if any of you have had significant claims in your background, right, that you've had, you know, years of history where you've had some claims problems, imagine the fact that you just went a year, year and a half with no claims at all, likely, because you weren't working. That is very positive in your insurance story, as Peter was describing. You know, he wants to tell a story to the insurance company to bring forward the best quote and best product possible for his customers. Part of that story is to look at a history of losses and, and it, one full year of no loss can be very substantial for certain customers' backgrounds. So it's, uh, it, it, there's, a, there's an opportunity here. Uh, you know, there's opportunity in all kinds of negatives. It, you know, last year was complete negative, but there's opportunities I think that are very positive for insureds out there and tell that story. So, so I, I just want to clarify that point, Scott Carroll, because I never thought about this before. Does a year with no losses on one's loss run because there was no work still count as a clean year for insurance purposes? It, it does in my mind. I certainly spin it that way to my insurance companies. Um, and it, But you're really talking about the vast majority of insureds don't have serious claim problems, right? They, they, it, it's a once in a while kind of thing. I'm really referring more to those that sort of have a, a very busy policy type that does, does may have a little bit more frequency. In those, in those cases, it could be very, very valuable for their story. Absolutely. It would be seen as a positive. 
I find I don't that know. Ask, ask the old uh, ask the old underwriters in Super Girl and David Cloward what they think. Did but you just call me old? Yeah, <laughs> Scott Carroll, watch what you're saying there. Uh, <laughs> old is in fighting words of work. Now, I think that that's a good point um, regarding COVID and workers' comp claims. The department, many of the departments of insurance are treating those a little differently related to, to claims related to COVID. But it, Scott does bring up a good point in that if you have a policy in force and you have zero claims, that that experience goes to your experience over the years. I think the COVID year is always going to have an asterisk around it um, related to you know the performance of the, the market in general and related to what we're, we're experiencing in the return to work. Um, it'll always have an asterisk around it, God willing, and we won't yeah. have an, another episode. But I think that's a very good point. Um, so, you know, COVID has definitely turned us into a little bit. That That is a positive, Scott. Absolutely. So it, as a last topic um, for this podcast, because, you know, podcast listeners, obviously we cannot cover all of the important issues related to insurance in the live event industry, but we would be remiss if we didn't at least mention the elephant in the room so it has been delightful to have a COVID-free- talk about COVID again. I know, damn it. Um, <laughs> but we would be remiss if we didn't at least address it. So, you know, with four smart insurance friends, what effect, you know, so Scott Carroll, you, you raised one issue, which is being out of work due to COVID may give some insured entities a clean year with nothing on their loss run. What else are you guys seeing as either a positive or a negative arising from COVID? And I'll just start with mine to get the juices flowing. I, you know, a lawyer who, you know, I, I see the claims that obviously come across my desk, but also I have my ear to the ground. I have not seen any you know, tidal wave of lawsuits arising from people who claim that they got sick at any kind of public accommodation due to COVID. Um, I haven't seen that stuff. So have you guys seen any insured issues related to COVID? Danielle, you, and you have your hand addendum, up. If there is such a thing as a winter surge this year, is cancellation insurance going to come back online? First of all, Peter Tempkin, start with you. Well, I want to pick up on the last thing Danielle said and fix the um, the misnomer. You can get cancellation insurance. You cannot get communicable disease coverage. Fair. Okay. okay? Um, that started approximately, the first time I saw it was about January 23rd of 2020 when I started seeing the exclusions on cancellation policies. We are still selling cancellation coverage, just no coverage for COVID. Uh, following up on what Steve said, we've been keeping our ear to the ground and we have come up with no knowledge of any liability claims due to COVID. Um, Steve, maybe you can help me out. I can't remember the name of that attorney who did that webcast about uh, why he doesn't think there'll ever be any um, liability claims. Oh, I know, I know, I know. I, know. <laughs> I remember causation. 
Right. I can't remember the name of that attorney. Uh, although if, if he heard what I was saying, he's probably blushing right about now. It was uh, Steve, guys. Yes, was, thank you, Peter. It was our very own Steve Edelman. Um, <laughs> I know there have been some workers' comp claims for COVID. Um, we know there were a bunch of, a tremendous amount of uh, BI, you know, business interruption claims. Um, Which were typically not are, covered. Business interruption was typically not a covered yeah. loss. Explain why, Suma Girl, because that, that's an important issue that came up a lot in late March through April of last year, not so much since then, but it's a technical issue. So would you explain it? Sure, in order for there to be a business interruption claim in most policies, you have to have physical loss to the property. And because the property was closed, it's not physically, there's no physical loss to it. If If it had a fire, if it had a water main break, those the physical damage to the property. In the COVID situation, the business was just closed. So business interruption policies did not respond in most cases. And Steve, if I can just- Yeah, finish your thought, Peter Temkins. Um, Because I know it hit the newspapers in America and a lot of people called me about it as soon as it happened. You know, the courts in London ruled that BI was covered under the policies. If you read the whole thing, it's because the way the UK policies were written, there was under certain policies coverage for businesses being shut down due to communicable disease. But like Sue just said, the policies in America, it has to be a physical loss. And I know there are a lot of lawyers out there who are trying to get creative um, as lawyers tend to do. Um, to see if they can get coverage. But, <laughs> um, you know, and I get calls all the time, you know, oh, there's a broker who says there's coverage out there for COVID. Um, there is a policy out there uh, that we've heard about, we haven't seen it, where there may be some limited liability, uh, some limited coverage for event cancellations. Um, it's a very high premium. It's a very high minimum premium. Uh, sorry, it's a very high rate, a very high minimum premium. And uh, coverage is only if the civil authorities shut the event down. Uh, but from what we've heard, they may have sold one policy. Um, I know, and Scott, you're probably going to jump in and you can talk more about this than I can. I know there are products out there for the film industry. They haven't filtered down to the live industry yet. There are, Peter. Yeah, you're right. Um, there are in the film industry. And um, we, too, though, have had a hard time uh, uh, getting comfortable with what's behind that. And uh, it's very expensive and it's very limited. And um, it's 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 not something that we're promoting, to be truthful. But um, yep. One other aspect of COVID that I'd like to bring up relative to your question, Steve, if I could, is some, it's a cautionary tale, to be honest. One thing that I'm seeing is that many insureds are coming back with uh, a lower valuation on their, let's say, their, their exposure base. So if in the case of certain customers, they're rated for general liability based on sales, and they're uh, based on sales, they're coming in with what I'm seeing to be much lower valuations. 
Um, so if an insured in the past did 500,000, they may be coming in with 100,000, for instance. And I understand the caution, I understand the concern, but the, the suggestion from my end would be that what you're doing is you're, if you really think that this year is going to be a small, small year, like the 100,000, then by all means, report that. But if it's possible that you're gonna get back to the 500,000, you're gonna be paying for that at year end in an audit. And those are things that over time um, we have worked on, we collectively, those of us in the insurance industry with our customer base, to sort of get a balance between having the right amount of sales volume so that you're not shocked with, a, with an audit at year end. And I think that shock of audit is, is a, uh, let's call it an, a, a, an unintended consequence of COVID that I anticipate because I'm seeing customers coming back smaller. I get why they don't want to be hung out there. They just aren't sure what's going to happen. They got stung last year because everything shut down. But I just, I, I just breathe a word of caution for everybody because that bill will come due and it's, it, it's not pleasant. It may not be pleasant. Steve, if I can jump in and just piggyback on what Scott said. Um, sure, Peter Temkins. It goes back to communication. A lot of my clients are in the same boat that Scott was just talking about. And what I've said to the clients is, look, if you think it's not going to be as great a year, but depending how the business comes back, it could, you know, let's go in with a lower number. But as you do more and more, give us your, whether it's sales or payroll, whatever, you're being rated on and we'll bill you accordingly to keep the cash flow going. Here are your rates. Open up a separate account and shove money in there. Yeah. It's like, it's like any independent contractor has to do with paying their tax bill. You make quarterly estimated payments. You know, those need to be adjusted as your income goes up or down. I, I live this reality every quarter and it's a bit of a nuisance, but at least I don't get stuck with a balloon payment, you know, yep. at the end of fourth quarter. Totally worth well, it. Not only that, but also penalties. Right. So um, my head is spinning, guys, and we're, we're coming up on the end of this. Um, I have learned a lot, and I think I have, probably have more questions than the podcast ever has time for. So uh, we're going to go around the room now for final thoughts. Uh, Peter, let's start with you. What are your, your final takeaways for our podcast listening audience? Um, I'm going to go back to my favorite word, communication. I love it. Talk to your broker. Let them know what you're doing. Ask how you can help. And sometimes it's referring them to somebody else, you know, or referring them to a, to a specialist. You know, for instance, I have a lot of clients who are production people. And a lot of them, you know, with contracts, I'm saying you need to talk to an attorney. So there are several attorneys that I refer to and, you know, they get their contracts done because as Sue and David has said, insurance companies are looking at contracts now. Uh, They want to see the contracts. So to me, it's the communications. It's the contracts. And the other thing also is because of what's gone on due to COVID and a lot of other things, It's managing your client's expectations. Premiums are going up, let them know. Underwriters are jammed, slammed, whatever other word we want to come up with. 
you know, back in the good old days, we would get quotes in two or three days. Now, four to six weeks, if you're lucky on a lot of things. Um, Ouch. Yeah, it's managing those expectations. So to me. Communication and and expectation management. That's fantastic. All right, David, to keep it in the chain of command. You know, Peter stole my thunder. Um, (laughs) Listen, the communication piece is 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 huge. You know what COVID has taught us that it's a moving target. Nothing that you see today might be tomorrow. Um, So with that being said, I mean, you know, we have seen, you know, carriers change philosophies, appetites, who's doing what it's, it's still moving. Right. So, you know, to make sure you're in that line sooner than later in, you know, your questions to your broker, getting your coverages secured, don't wait to the last minute. Because right now it is, we're, we're in a queue, right? Take a number, take a ticket and, you know, get yourself in that line. All of a sudden um, I'm in a deli again. That's, <laughs> that's it. So, you know, and yeah, again, communicate, 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 because, you know, what, again, what we see today could be different tomorrow. Sure. And you want to make sure that you're um, current. Okay, Scott Carroll, take one to you. I would suggest getting back to fundamentals. I think that, uh, you know, when I played baseball, it was always, and, and I was having a bad day, it was always get back to fundamentals, right? So get back to fundamentals. And what I mean by that for our, for our listeners is think about the business as it was when you first started, right? You, you took your time reading through things. You made sure that you were doing, you were dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Now that everything is coming back at you with such a vengeance, such a fervor, such a speed, now is the time to get back to basics and think about the fact that your staff has not been working for a while. So what can you do to help them remove the rust? Think about the fact that there's so many people asking you to do so many different things that because you're excited to get back to work, you might be willing to just say, oh, okay, I'll do it. Get back to basics and think things through. I love Peter's and David's comments about communication and, and, and early advance warning. Absolutely brilliant, uh, brilliant advice. Thank you. I am, again, taking notes, communication, anticipation, preparation. I'm on a roll. Sue, take us, take us just, home here. Just to wrap it up a little bit, um, you know, get trained, get retrained, stay focused, set expectations with your employees, set goals with your employees, continue to communicate, communicate with the, the insurance company, include people. There's lots of resources out there. Include everybody to support you. Have, you know, have a posse and use them. All right. So after all that, guys, take a deep breath. We got this. If you want to reach out to us to ask another question or for any other reason, our email address is podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. Go ahead and and take that ESAT training. Uh, Find it at the website, (laughs) eventsafetyalliance.org. I want to hear Danielle and Steve's final words. Oh, my. Um, My final words are about risk mitigation. Um, So here's a plug for insurance as risk mitigation in a couple of different respects that I really like. And Peter, it's fun that you brought it up because 
you know, I love seeing you at an event because you are the the positive side, you know, sort of the carrot side of, you know, what I think too many people think of insurance is just a stick. Um, but I love the fact that insurers not only provide risk mitigation through actual insurance coverage and the ability to hire defense counsel, but also people, Peter, like you, who I see on site, who are providing guidance, who are doing spot checking, who are helping us you know, with boots on the ground. And I think that's a super important aspect that the insurance industry doesn't get enough credit for. You know, being proactive to help mitigate risks before they turn into disasters. I, frankly, that's one of the reasons that I like having smart friends in this industry so close by, because it's not just about penalizing people with higher rates when they have a bad loss. It's also about encouraging good and safe practices and, you know, being part of the risk mitigation puzzle that we're all struggling with, especially these days, as we're knocking the rust off, you know, not just in just in real time, but in super fast time. I think insurance is definitely part of the solution. So that that's my takeaway. And, and mine, as, as I take us out uh, of here today, you know, I think what I got out of this is insurance as a partner, uh, not as a tick, as a box, a checkbox. Um, that, that's what I heard. Um, and I think that's a, maybe a great takeaway from that. Um, so, uh, you know, biggest thing, what could go wrong? And then once you identify what could go wrong, what are some ways we can cope with that? Insurance is one of them. So I want to thank Peter and Scott and David and Sue and of course Steve and definitely Jacob who's going to edit a couple times when I just couldn't find the right word. I want to thank you all and listening audience. Please keep keep an eye on social media and our emails and websites. We've got stuff coming up. We've got Summer Nam. We've got the Event Safety Summit coming up. Watch for that announcement. And we will talk to you soon. Stay safe, everybody. 